Hey everybody, this is Bob Z, the pastor of Joy Christian Fellowship. I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast. I hope it's a word that will encourage you today. Let's remember in these challenging times we're living that God is still in control and that his love for us endures forever. Amen. God bless. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of worship. You created us to worship. And we're going to worship something or someone, and I, I pray we all will make you the object of our worship. Not our kids, not our grandkids, not our jobs, not our careers, not our entertainment, but you. You're the only one worthy. Come now and give us ears to hear what you have to, on your heart for this church this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Have your way in this house, Lord. Amen. Amen. That was good. Good. Appreciate the team coming together. Our theme this week is love. I mean, love should be our theme every week, but since Valentine's Day is this week, I thought I'd talk about love today, but that's biblical love, not what the world or Hollywood defines as love, okay? There is a song we worship with sometimes. It's called Nothing Holding Me Back. And speaking of Jesus in this song, one of the lyrics is, your love will never let me go. Isn't that good news this morning? His love will never let us go. People may come and go in our lives. People may love us today and hate us tomorrow. But Jesus' love will never let us go. And you've heard people say, oh, you should never say never. Well, when you're Jesus, you can say never, and it's, it's okay. Um, but that song, it's a song of thanksgiving to Jesus. It says, thank you for your death and resurrection. Thank you for the power of your blood. Thank you that we're living in your kingdom, and Jesus, you're the king upon the throne. It goes on, and it says, thank you for the way you've always loved me, and now... Now I get to love you in return. Think of that. And now we get to love him in return. So the title of this morning's message is, And Now I Get to Love You in Return. You know, after everything Jesus has done to demonstrate his love for every one of us, now you and I get to love him in return, right? In return for the countless blessings he's already given us and all the blessings he keeps giving us. Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 6. So Lord, open your word up to us. Now we speak. Teach us. We need fresh manna for this morning. Yesterday's won't do. We need fresh manna. All right. Now I get to love you in return. First off, let's always, always remember that Jesus didn't just tell us. He loves us. Like a lot of us tell people we love them. Jesus demonstrated it, right? I mean, he demonstrated his love for us by taking our punishment. Our punishment for, for our sins because he didn't have any of his own. He took my sins. He took your sins. He took the world's sins and nailed them to the cross. And in exchange for our sins, he gave us his righteousness. Now, we know that. We know that's true. But have you ever just meditated on the magnitude of that exchange? 
I had not until this week, and I just kept thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. It's like, what a lousy exchange for Jesus. But what a glorious exchange for all of us who've put our faith in him, right? I mean, he gets our sins, our dirt, our filth, every bad thing we've ever, he gets it all, he takes it all. And he gives us his holy, pure righteousness. That's an incredible exchange. And that's not all he did. You know, before he got arrested in the garden that night, Jesus told his disciples, and, and he tells us that in his father's house there are many rooms, right? King James calls it many mansions. And he was going there to prepare a place for us so that we could be with him. That's out of John chapter 14. And at some day, he would come back to get us. And I hope you're ready. If you're not ready, we need to talk before you leave because he's coming back to take us to be with him in our heavenly home where there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more hospital beds or ventilators, no more chemo, no more anxiety or anger, no more doubt, no more fears, no more sin. Imagine that. There's no sin in heaven. There's no poverty. There's no racism. There's no hatred. There's no homeless people in heaven. There's no homeless shelters in heaven because everybody's got a home there, right? Jesus already went and prepared a place. So hallelujah for that. So the Lord has shown us and demonstrated his love for us over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And he just keeps showing his love for us. And now, as that song says, and now we get to love him in return. But how do, how do we do that? How do we love Jesus in return? How do we really love God in our hectic, busy, full lives today? Well, first off, we need to remember loving God isn't just a suggestion or a good idea. It's, it's a command. It's a biblical command. Not only that, but according to the Scriptures, according to Jesus himself, it's the most important command. Now, one day some of the religious leaders and teachers were questioning Jesus about paying taxes, about the resurrection. What if a, what if a woman was married seven times? Whose wife would she be in the resurrection? And they were just trying to trap Jesus into saying something he could be arrested for, something they could determine would be blasphemous. But Jesus knew what they were up to. He always knew what they were up to. And he always ate their lunch whenever they tried to trick him every time. So we're going to pick up this story in Mark's Gospel. It's in chapter 12 where one of the teachers of the law came and he heard Jesus and his leaders uh, debating. And he noticed Jesus had given these guys a really good answer. It really impressed this guy. So, so he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Good question, right? Let's look how Jesus answers him in Mark 12, beginning in verse 29. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. 
And that's Jesus, not me, saying it. No other commandment is, is greater than these. Now, these are probably familiar words to most of us, I hope. Hopefully, we've heard them before more than once. And I'm sure if I asked everyone this morning if you love God, the, the correct Sunday school answer is, yes, of course, Bob, of course I love God. And hopefully, your answer would be yes. But what does it mean? What does it mean to really love God? How do we measure something like that? What does that feel like? How does it show itself? By showing up for church twice a month? How about this? What does it look like if we don't love God? Maybe that's more obvious to see. How how does that show itself? And do I ever find it hard? Do I ever find it difficult to love God, especially when we feel he hasn't come through for us when we needed him the most? kind of hard to love somebody then, even if it's God, right? We might say, oh, no, that's an easy question to answer, but, but I'm not so sure it is if, if we're going to be really honest about it because there are those times we struggle to love God, at least I have. Jesus had been asked what the most important commandment and was, and basically his answer is to love God with everything in you, with everything you got. And I wonder how many of us really do that? How many of us can, I can't stand up here and tell you, that's me. It's not me. It should be me. I want it to be me, but it's not. And the second command, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, there is no greater commandment than that. And this Pharisee tells Jesus, good job, Jesus, and gives him a pat on the back. Look, Look at verse 32 and verse 33. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Good job, Jesus. And Jesus, listen to this guy. He's a Pharisee, right? He's one of the teachers of law. And he's saying to love is, is more important than the sacrifices and offerings. And it says after that, that when Jesus saw that this guy had answered wisely, he said to him, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom. You're you're really close to the kingdom. There's hope for you after all. And then it says, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. They didn't want him to eat their lunch either, I guess. So everybody just shut up. So God wants his church to love him and to love one another. And I believe a lot of people want to know God. They want to love him, but it might be difficult for some of us to figure out how exactly can you really love someone you can't see or touch? And the answer comes in the scripture we just read. We love God with our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. But he wants us to do it with all our heart and all our soul, and all our mind, and all our strength. And it's not on the screen, but Deuteronomy 4, verse 29, tells us if we search for God with all our heart and soul, we'll find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we can love God when we search and seek him with all our hearts, and we can also show we love God when we serve him with all our hearts, right? What he said, what you've done to the least of these, you've done for me. 
Another verse, not on screen, but Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways? Now, if we're going to walk in his ways, that requires obedience on our part. And listen to this. To love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. So we serve him when we serve others. And we also love God by praising him. Look what we just got that doing. That's shown love to him. Psalm 9, 1, 9, verse 1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. Psalm 111, verse 1 says, I'll praise the Lord with my whole heart. And you know, another way we, we can love God with our whole heart is by truly repenting when we've wandered away from him. Listen to this verse from Jeremiah 24, 7. God says, I will give them a heart to know me. See, he's got to do that. He's going to give us a heart to know him so we can know him. That I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their hearts. But he has to give us that heart. Right? I mean, that's just some of the ways we can, we can love God with our hearts and our souls. And we can love God with all our minds by getting to know and understand his love for us more. Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about our minds in verse 2 where he tells us, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. We need our minds renewed every morning before we get out of bed, before we ever say hello to anybody. I need my mind renewed hourly, it seems, <laughs> moment by moment. Ugh. So do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says then, after that, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen to this. This is Paul's, this is on the screen. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you. You and you and you, all of us. He strengthened you with power by his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ dwelling in here takes faith. And I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend. How do we comprehend? With our minds that we'll be able to comprehend with all the saints how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, what a rich promise that is. That is such a rich promise. It's Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 19. See, we can love God with all our minds when we comprehend his his love for us, but, but none of this will help us love God unless we first have a genuine desire to love him, will it? I mean, I said this at the men's breakfast, you can't make me love you, and I can't make you love me. I mean, there has to be this desire, uh, and God has to give us that desire, right? We can't even come to him, it says, unless he draws us to himself. 
So maybe instead of asking, do we love God, maybe we should be asking ourselves first, do we even have a desire to love God? Or do we have too many desires for other things? Do we have a hunger, a thirst for God? I asked earlier, what does love for God look like? Well, love has to do a desire, obviously. We know Jesus said, well, if you love me, keep my commands, right? Do what I'm telling you to do. Talk is cheap. You know, tell me you love me, show it. So keeping his commands is a love response, right? If we're obeying Christ's commands, if we're obeying him, that's a love response. That's how we love him. He said, if you love me, there it is, if you love me. But do you think we could keep the commands and not love him? I don't think you can love him and not keep commands, but can we just keep the commands without loving him? I think we could. I think we can misinterpret loving God as this order, this duty, this, this thing I have to do. It's just this command we got to obey. Now, it is a command. It is a command. It's the most important command. But, but do we treat it like just another chore, another task that, that we have to complete? Got to love God today. Got to love God today. Got to love God today. Well, let me look at my busy schedule. Well, I probably can love him from 8 till 9.30, and then i got to get on with the rest of my day. Got to love God today. We need to love God, but not like that, obviously, right? Heaven help us if we feel like that. Got to love God today. Got to love God. 8 to 9.30. See, we need a desire to truly love God, a desire that wants that closer, deeper connection on the, on the heart level, wanting greater communication, greater intimacy. It's a longing, a longing to be in God's presence. Now I'm going to pick on Joseph and Deanna. I'm getting to do their wedding later this month. They're engaged. They're in love, you know, and, and, and that's when you think about loving God, I, I think about how they love each other, and they want that closer. They want that deeper connection on the heart level, right? Greater communication, greater intimacy, a longing to be in, in God's presence, I remember me and Bobby in the early, early days, we're going to be married 46 years later this month, but just wanting to be with her. And my other friends said, oh, would you quit talking about her already? I said, no, I want to be with her. You know, I think about her all the time. And, and just that longing, longing to be in their presence together, not something to check off the to-do list. Do we have that longing for God? How is our desire for God? You know, Psalm 42 tells us, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, I've never seen a deer going, <laughs> panting for water. That's a thirsty deer, right? Are we that thirsty? Are we that hungry? Is anybody that hungry and thirsty for God? Because let's face it, our desire for God can get weak sometimes because we get satisfied with lesser things. We get caught up in instant gratification. Mikey and Josiah and I, we had breakfast, and Mikey said, you know what, our problem is, especially as Americans, we want instant gratification. I want this, I want it now, I don't want to wait. I'm just going to go get that, right? 
If I got money in my pocket, I got a credit card, I'm just going to go get that because I want to be satisfied now. We don't want to wait. And the pleasures of this world that are so many can choke out that desire we should have for God. I mentioned briefly last Sunday the parable of the four soils where Jesus taught, you know, how the farmer went out and he sowed good seed and some fell in the path and some fell among rocks, some fell among thorns, some fell on the good soil. But listen to what Jesus says about the thorny soil. This is Mark 4, verse 18 and 19. It says, the thorny ground represented, represents those who hear and accept the good news, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. It's crowded out by the cares of this life. We've got a lot of cares in this life. The lure of wealth, wanting more, and the desire for nice things. Wow. So no crop is produced. In other words, our lives don't bear any fruit. It gets choked out by all this other stuff, and as a result, no crop, no fruit. The cares of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for nice things. But we all want nice things. I want nice things. I know you guys want nice things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. All of those things can detract us from loving God. Another translation lists those three things as life's worries. Yeah. Riches, pleasures. And we live in a pleasure-focused world, don't we? Man. And there's so much out there that we can enjoy and just have pleasure. But thorns can take root and grow in the form of life's worries and riches and pleasures and wanting good things and seeking more and more and more and, and, and just choke out that desire we should have to love God because we have a greater desire for those other things. Now, God created pleasure for our enjoyment. He's not a killjoy, all right? He created pleasure for our enjoyment, but when it becomes our main focus, it starts to become an idol. It can just be another God we would rather love. See, loving God is not about rejecting all the good things he's given us to enjoy. That's, that's not what he's asking. The gifts are good. The gifts are great. But not when they take the place of the giver, right? I hope that makes sense. See, for us to be the people we're intended to be, for us to experience life here as God created it to be, we, we need to love him. We need to love God back. And it's part of his plan that we love him with everything in us and that we live out of that love so we can love others. That's when we're fully alive. That's when we'll know the abundant life Christ came to give us. Oh, but we fill up on lesser things, don't we? If we don't have that desire and that hunger for God, it's not because he's undesirable. right? It's not because he's undesirable. It's because we've been nibbling from the world's table too long. Right? We've stuffed ourselves with the little temporary things and there's no room for the greater eternal things. God didn't create us for that. We're created to love God and we've tried to love everything else and we're still unsatisfied. We're still not content because only God himself is completely sufficient to fill the longing of our soul. 
Nothing else can do that. No one else can do that. A lot of you know who C.S. Lewis is, great theologian and author, wrote Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote this. Look at this, what he wrote in Mere Christianity. Listen to this. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation, I was made for another world, right? We were made for another world. This isn't our home. We're passing through here. But, oh, man, we're trying to accumulate as, as much as we can and enjoy every spare moment we can. But that is so good and so true. If I find in myself desires, we're talking about desires, and desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical exp explanation, I was made for another world. Mm. See, we need to love God, and the struggle for some of us is that our hunger for him has faded. It's taken a back seat. And if we're struggling with not loving God, that raises some questions, some interesting, some disturbing questions. What... What is our worship here together on a Sunday morning if we don't really love God? Why do we do this? Is this just to get together and have a, a feel-good sing-along? <laughs> what good is biblical knowledge without a real love for God? Just so you can win arguments and impress people with how much Bible you know? Or do we want people to know that they're loved by the same God who loves us. See, the real danger of not loving God is that we end up practicing religious behavior without any real passion or, or without any real joy. And then we become more and more like modern-day Pharisees. Let's not, let's not do that. Let's not be like that. God's made us for himself. And our hearts are going to be restless until they find their rest in him because we've tried everything else, right? And I know we all lead busy lives, but you know what? God's not impressed with how busy we are. <laughs> I know we have obligations. I have re we have responsibilities. We need to be places at certain times. We're committed to those things. And that's, that's good. That's wise. That's being responsible. But somehow, somehow we need to start practicing consciously living each day with God. And not just Sunday mornings, but engaging him in every part of our lives. Every day, living with God, talking with God, involving him in our day-to-day -day routines. This could be called a Shema lifestyle. When Jesus was asked what, what the greatest commandment was back in Mark's Gospel in chapter 12, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is part of the Shema prayer that the Jews would pray every morning and every evening. Let's look at it, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The Lord alone, that's monotheism. The belief in only one God, that was a distinctive feature of Hebrew religion because a lot of the ancient religions believed in many gods, and they still do today. But the day is coming. The day is coming when the prophecy of Zechariah 14, verse 9, is going to be fulfilled, where it says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. The name alone, his name alone will be worshipped. His name alone will be worshipped, right? 
Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming, and we're closer to it today than we were yesterday. Hallelujah. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must, remember, this is a command, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Look at verse 7, 8, 9. Listen to this, parents and grandparents and future parents. Repeat them again and again and again. To who? To your children. What could be more important than teaching our kids and our grandkids God's word and to be kind and to be loving and be more like Jesus, helping them to understand how much God loves them and how Jesus came to give them life. If the only way to the Father is through Jesus, what would be more important than teaching our kids and grandkids that? See, we have to be the ones that are the mind molders. Lance Wallen calls it mind molders. Mind molding and shaping belief systems because if we don't do it, the world will. Right? So, well, I don't want to force anything on my kids. I want them to decide when they're old. And they will. But golly, we better be giving them a sound, solid foundation now. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home or when you're in Atlanta or when you're in Pigeon Forge or in the mountains or at the beach or when you're away on a journey, when you're lying down, when you're getting up as part of the Jews' morning and evening prayers. Tie them to your hands as a reminder. Wear them on your forehead or maybe a bracelet or a necklace or a T-shirt. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Put God's word on your wall. Put them on your bathroom mirror. Put it on your front door. Put it so, so others see it, so your kids see it every morning, seeing that, that, that scripture where Chris works, uh, his boss puts a Bible verse every morning where everybody can see it. Regardless of what they believe, when they walk by, boom, there's the word. That's wonderful. Jewish people were to make loving God a part of everyday life. As much a part of life as breathing and eating. So let's start somewhere if we're not doing any of this. Let's invite God into our day where we previously had not made room for him before. Think about that. Where, where have I left him out? At work, at home, on the road, or when I go to a ball game, where have I left him out? Let's invite him into that part of the day where we previously had not made room for him and go from there. Does any one of us have too much of Jesus in our lives? <laughs> I don't think so. Do you love God? Yeah. Easy answer is, well, yeah, sure. Do you have a hunger for him? And Jesus tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and to love others. To love others. Imagine what this world would look like if we all began loving God like that. Imagine what Cleveland, Tennessee would look like if all the Christians began loving God like that. <laughs> That's a goal worth aiming for, I'm telling you. We're not going to have a hunger for God if we're filling up on the world's junk. 
If we're gorging ourselves on lesser things, we won't have an appetite for God and the greater things. The Bible tells us taste and see. Right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So maybe we need to ask him this morning to give us a bigger appetite for him. A bigger appetite for the greater things he has for us. And take away the appetite we have for the lesser things that the world keeps filling us up with. Amen? We need a desire for more of him and less of this world. So I'm going to pray and we're going to ask you to stand with me for a prayer. And this is a prayer that I called the prayer for the tribe of joy in 2023. And, and Bobby and I, we don't pray it every day, but we pray for you guys every evening after dinner. You know, we go down our list and sometimes one of your needs is more pressing than another, but you know, you guys are prayed for. I hope you're praying for us as well. But this is from Colossians chapter one, verse nine through 14. So when I read it, I thought, boy, that's, that's Bobby and I's our prayer for joy, for the people of joy. It starts out by saying, I received this this morning. So we have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise with spiritual wisdom. That's what I'm declaring over all of us this morning. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And you will continually, continually do good, kind things for others. All the while, you'll learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power so that you will have all the patience and endurance you need. May you be filled with joy, filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all our sins. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. That's our closing prayer. I'm going to just say, if you want prayer for anything, come up and see me or pray where you are. Pray for somebody next to you. If you got to go, God bless you. Come back next week. Bring somebody with you. Have a good afternoon. Keep living for him. Amen.